This offense has, has a ton of potential. We got players all over that have made plays and have, have done a great job and been doing it for a long time now. Um, but the potential is, is nothing until you put the work in. We still got a long way to go. So we, uh, you know, we're climbing right now, doing all the right things and um, you know, learning a new scheme and all of that. But it ain't gonna just happen because we're standing out there. So we got to put that, you know, keep stacking the days and, and put the work in. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Here's your boy Q. Here we are kicking off hour number three of Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. And you heard Devontae Adams right there talking about the potential that the Raiders offense has, but it's nothing until they put in the work, and that is true, and they'll put in the work when training camp starts opening up around July 19th. Right now, we're pleased to have on the phone lines a good friend of ours, good friend of the show, Lincoln Kennedy, former Raider offensive lineman. Of course, he's in the play-by-play booth as a color commentator for the Raiders broadcast. And Lincoln, welcome back to the show. How you doing, my friend? Q, what's up, man? How the hell are you? Oh, man, I'm fantastic. Living my best life, man. I'll tell you, I'm living my best life because I uh, frequented the the Angry Crab not too long ago and had some great, <laughs> great seafood. I'm glad they took good care of you. And you know, for all those that don't know, you know, I got a little restaurant out in Henderson on Sunset at Green Valley Circles called the Angry Crab Shack, and we serve Cajun uh, seafood uh, boils. So you know, a couple of the guys from the station have been over. I know you, Demond, and a couple others. So glad you guys like it. I'm glad they're treating you well. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Great stuff. So I definitely appreciate you and uh, always feel proud when I walk in there and get some <laughs> get some great seafood. Knowing... Have you been in the Raider room yet? Have yes, I have. Ra- that's that's okay. where we sat. We sat in the Raider room right over there by your jersey. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All, all good. Absolutely. Well, Lincoln, there's a lot going on with the silver and black. I want to yeah. talk to you about the offense, the offensive line, but I also want to ask you about, you know, Brett Musburger, your broadcast partner. I know you learned a lot from him. You told me when you got in the booth with him that you were blessed to be, you know, with a legend like Brent. He's not going to be back next year. But how much did you get to learn from him? How, how, how was that experience? Well, it really was. It, it's hard to put in words when you're working with such a legend. I mean, somebody who's been around the, the game, uh, not only just football, but sports in general for, you know, more than half his life. I grew up watching on CBS with Jane Kennedy and all the other people. So, I, I mean, it really was a dream come true to have a chance to work with them. I can't put into words everything I learned because it just took chemistry. It took us a while to get our chemistry and to get our chemistry straight uh, and to get a little bit of rhythm with us. Um, I'm sad to see him go, but I wish him nothing the best for nothing but the best in the future. Are you, uh, are, are you interested in play-by-play or do you, do you just prefer the color? Too much work. Too much work. <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm good with the color. This, it, 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 you you got to think about play by play. You got to set everything up. You yep. gotta, I mean, it, look, I've, I've done it before, but it is a lot of work, and it takes. It, it's not an easy task. It, it takes a while to perfect, and I'm much better at analyzing what I see, not having to break down every little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the play by play usually sets you up, and then you take it from there. Um, but I'm usually I'm, I'm a lot better at analyzing and and having time to decipher from everything my reads when I read a play from all 22. Um, so I, I, I do a little bit better at that. No, I tell you, as soon as everyone found out the news, a lot of people hit me up and was like, Hugh, you should ask about it. And I said the same thing you said. There's way too much yeah, work. I mean, a lot of work. That's not something you just go into on Saturday afternoon and say, hey, I'm going to study and then go call a game on Sunday. That's not no, how it works. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and, and, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm doing some college football work with the Pac-12. That would be that would be tremendous, a lot of work to have to practice. I mean, have to prepare for both college and pro football Saturday and Sunday. Right, exactly. Now, I will say this, Lincoln, and I've told you this before. If they're looking for a sideline guy, I'm your guy. 
<laughs> well, I did that for the first couple of years that I was working with the Raiders and before I went up in the booth, so I know how, how, that, how that could be a, a treat in its own. So I'll make sure I pass on the work. There you go. No, I know you did a tremendous job on the sidelines. That's a fun job, and, and that's a lot of work too, but it's, it's a really fun job. It's great to be on top of the action. Again, we're talking with Lincoln Kennedy here on Unnecessary Roughness, and we've been talking the last couple of days about offensive line and defensive line. Of course, offensive line near and dear to your heart. You know it very well. Pro Football Focus has the Raiders ranked at number 29, but says, hey, they could climb their way out of there. It really depends on what second-year guy Alex Leatherwood does. Right tackle, right guard, where do you think his best fit is right now? Well, it depends on the offseason. Now, you know how clandestine these little mini camps and everything has become in, in football today. It's not an open forum like it once was where you have access. And I've always believed, doesn't matter what time of year, you never know how good you are until you play against somebody. So it depends on the, 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 the offseason for Alex Leatherwood. I said last year on countless shows on Raider Nation Radio and every other platform I had that I still think Alex Leatherwood can be a good offensive lineman, a good pro in this league. The things that held him up last year is that he got stagnant in his ways and he just wasn't coached right. And it's going to be interesting to see if it, if it happens, if he's been able to coach out of those things. The things that most people don't realize, especially when you play this game, it has a lot to do with muscle memory. Guys don't generally think. They go for what they know. They go what they what they've had success with in the past. And sometimes it's really hard to break those types of tendencies. I always believe that Alex Leatherwood's biggest nemesis, biggest minus last year, was that he would stick both of his hands out, extend them, overextend themselves at times, and leave them out there. So when people would knock him down or would swim, move him, or, or bypass him, or just uh, you know just push him out of the way, he had no recourse. He wasn't. He was unable to move his hips. So moving him in at guard really helped him because it gave him a little bit tighter space to play and not as much space as tackle. However, in there, he still had the same tendency where he would be overextended. And once guys got even with his shoulders, there was a lot of holding penalties, a lot of miscues. So with that being said, you know, I told everybody, I said, look, he, he needs to be like a boxer where he's jamming and he's pulling his hand back and he's jamming again. And you learn how to basically throw punches you know, at a man who's coming at you to buy yourself three to four seconds, which is generally all the time you need to pass the football. I don't know if he's been able to do that. I won't see until training camp if he's been able to do that. I still think he can play tackle if he learns how to use his hands better. But if not, he's better suited for a guard. They have to cover up the blemish that they have not been able to cover up for years at the right tackle. You've got to keep a whole offensive line intact if you expect Derek Carr and his offense to have any success. What does it tell you about the young man when we talked to him last week in mandatory minicamp and he said, hey, I've been training in Dallas. I've been training here in Las Vegas. I, I, I started looking at my weight and worried about my weight and made sure I got my, my diet right. It sounds like he's doing all the right things as far as training. Is that a, is that a positive sign in your opinion? Alex Leatherwood always said the right things. Even when I had a first chance to interview him after he was drafted last year, he always said all the right things. Got me excited because I saw a lot of myself in him. Here's a guy who liked to play, who liked to beat people, beat people up, and was <laughs> smart about it. And, and uh, it did not translate. He had struggled throughout the season, and it began to wear on him mentally. You could tell in his play. So I'm glad he's saying all the right things. Now it just needs to translate. And, again, we won't know. You can't really know in, in, in practice and even in, even in training camps or mini camps. First of all, in mini camps, they don't put any pads on. So right. that leaves nothing 
be said. Offensive linemen need pads. Okay, we need to hit people. Eh? You don't get any better by just playing in helmets and jerseys. That's not how you're going to get better. Um, but then even in training camp, they're going to have limited hitting because if he's a starter, they're going to try to protect him as much. You're going to get work done, but you're still going to have limited hitting. And who knows how Josh McDaniel's you know schedule is for preseason yet until we see it because you know John Gruden didn't play any of these starters last. I mean, over the preseason over right. the last couple of years. So we, there's still a lot that we have to wait and see. And look. I'm like you, Q. I don't like to put a lot of just what ifs or how comes or, you know, suppose out there. I'd like to see a little bit more tangent energy. But I know this. From what we saw, the case in point last year, this offensive line struggled, and it cost the Raiders a couple of games. Now, they still made a playoff run, but just imagine if they had a secure offensive line. When you talk about the offensive playmakers that we have on paper right now, how good they can be, how fun they can be to watch, and how much damage they can do to opposing teams because this is a very competitive division, as we already know. Man, oh, man, that competitive division is going to be a dogfight each and every week throughout the course of the regular season. Again, we're talking with Lincoln Kennedy here on Raider Nation Radio 920. How about Denzel Good? How, How important will it be to get him back healthy? I think it's absolutely essential. You know, they came in, the Raiders came in last season with a, a you know, sort of a, uh, a plan, if you will. And then all of it went to hell when Richie Incognito couldn't play and Denzel went after, and out at the, at the first game. Um, they had to sort of just try to make up as they went along. But I think Denzel Good is what, I, what we call a road grader. If you, if you can able to match him with Leatherwood's tenacity, if they are able to get consistency on the right side, I think it opens up a lot of promising ways to run the football. And I know Josh McDaniels, and in in especially when he was coordinating offense in, in New England, liked to run the football. I'd like to see the Raiders get back to that hard-nosed stuff. Look, they're going to have plenty of arsenal to throw the football, plenty of passes, time to throw the football. But if you can run the ball, you establish a precedence, and you establish a presence about your team that may offensive linemen love to do. Defensive linemen are fresh. They get to go out there and do what they do and, and don't have to worry about being playing a whole lot of time. So I think you know having Denzel Good back into the fold, if he's healthy and he's capable, I think will be good because here's a versatile player that can play either guard, and we saw the year before, play tackle. Right, exactly. And, and Lincoln, I know it's only June 15th, but have you had an opportunity to kind of deep dive into the third-round pick out of Memphis, Dylan Parham? Not yet. Not okay. yet. Haven't, like I said, there hasn't been a whole lot released, and I'm not there in Vegas. You know, right. I live in Phoenix, yep. so um, it's very limited. But I do plan on being up there for training camp for a number of sessions and, of course, looking forward to the preseason. And it's anyone's guess what we're going to see in the preseason. I would like to see the possibility of some starters playing just to get there, you know, get a little bit of warm-up and see them. But, you know, August 4th is right around the corner. You're going to blink and we're going to be there. And, and, and next thing you know, we'll see who's playing and who's not. Right. Absolutely. Again, we're talking with Lincoln Kennedy here on Raider Nation Radio 920. How much do you think Josh McDaniels can scheme if the offensive line is struggling, especially early on, they're still trying to gel? How much do you think he can scheme up the offense to kind of hide that blemish that they may have? Well, there's really no hiding it. it really, you, you, when you talk about the, you know, the opponents you're playing, you're playing professional football, there's really no hiding it. What you do is you scheme for what you think is best. And a lot of times, and in my experience, Q, it's been coaches keeping it simple. And what I mean by simple, you know, simple dives, simple runs, simple pass, you know, routes, route combinations, stuff like that, just to see what you have. Now, the thing is, the, the, the leg up that Coach McDaniels has with this team is that you have a number of veterans and a quarterback that knows the team, knows, knows a lot of the players on the team. He knows the tendencies of Darren Waller. He knows the tendencies of Hunter Renfro. He knows the tendencies of Josh Jacobs. Finalizing the line and securing the line and getting them to just build confidence off of what they can do well, whatever it is, scheme-wise, that's what you start with. That's what the basics. 
and you know as well as I do, Q, a lot of team, a lot of coaches don't like to scheme a lot during preseason. Right. They keep it extremely vanilla, and that's okay because you can get you can get a sort of wherewithal what your team is capable of if you go straight vanilla, just straight base, you know, runs, base passes, base defense. You're not trying to light up the scoreboard. More importantly, you're not trying to showcase everything that you can possibly do. You're just trying to get your guys some work. So more times than not, both sides usually play vanilla. I don't know how Josh has done it in the past, but I know, you know, watching Belichick, it's pretty, pretty much looked vanilla when they played in preseason. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm expecting, and, and I don't expect to see much at training camp because they have us so far away. But at the yeah. same time, we're out there. We're doing our thing, and it's football, and we're excited about it. What about Andre James? He was the full-time starter last year, taking over for Rodney Hudson. Uh, he got that experience under his belt. How much better can he be this year? He got substantially better as the season wore on, which was great because he struggled in the first part of the season, getting the ball back, a lot of sloppy snaps and stuff like that, and inconsistencies, especially with penalties. But he got a little bit of com- a little comfort to him. Now, the only thing that concerns me is now you come in with a new scheme, you come in with a new offensive line coach, I hope you don't take a step back. Mm-hmm. I hope you're still able to maximize and go forward. And I think he can. I still think that he can be good. Look, the guy didn't play center before last year. Right. I, and, and asking him to do it on a professional level is a lot. I know Coach Cable had a lot of faith in him, and he showed a lot of faith in him to put in that position. But now it's real deal. You've got a new offensive line coach. You've got a new offensive coordinator. You've got a new scheme. Um, same pressures of playing in the NFL and stuff like that are still going to be on you. But I think he can still get better if he keeps his head on straight and is able to maximize or work on the things that he had problems with last year. What I've been looking at, and I've been talking about quite a bit here on the show, is that the way the Raiders have, have structured all these contracts, whether it's Carr, Adams, now Renfro. I feel like that there's a window, Lincoln, about a three-year window that they're giving themselves to go and get it done. Uh, when, when you see that as a player, when you see the, the team kind of structuring these deals like that, does that get you excited, motivated? What does that do for a player? Well, I tell you what, you know, it's a lot different than when I played. The teams used to try to build for the future, if you would. Build some draft choices, keep them up, keep them in the house, get better. Now, the, the window has really closed. If you look at what the Rams did last year by just giving up everything to get the quarterback, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Now, they, they, they realize they're going to lose players. They realize they're probably going to step, take a step back. But I think that's what you have to do. It used to be a four-year window when a guy got drafted. If you don't win, you have to move on by him. And it could be anybody, quarterback, or, and so on and so forth. So these days, the window has gotten a lot shorter. You might say three years. I think it's two years. I, okay. think, it's, I think it's even less than that because, let's face it, when you look at this division, this division has the potential of being one of those old throwback 80 divisions like the NFC East where the Cowboys, the Redskins, and the Giants used to beat up on each other, right? Yeah. You had a playoff team going in like 8-8, eight and 9-8, eight, and eight <laughs> and stuff like that. That could be potentially what you have with this division. Everyone knows what you have Kansas City. The window is closed, though. You've got the Chargers. Now, how now the, the, the Broncos have got a quarterback, and I've said over the last couple of years, they were just a quarterback away from uh, really making a, a push at things. So now you've got the Raiders in the mix. You've got a very competitive vision. The window is actually shrinking. You've got to win, and you've got to win now. The Raiders have got to position themselves piggybacking off of the success they had last year, going to the playoffs, making a step closer. Look, it would be a dream come true if they're able to host a Super Bowl next year, but we're not right. there yet. So you know, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done, but they've got to get it done now. 
I like it. I like it a lot, Lincoln. Great stuff as always. Before I let you go, you mentioned Kansas City Chiefs, and we know what they have. We know what they don't have as well. They don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. He's now in Miami. I know that Andy Reid is a great coach, and he's going to scheme him up, and he's going to have a high-flying offense. But how much of a big loss is that, not having Tyreek Hill out there? I don't think it's a big loss. I, okay. I think when you, watch, when you watch this offense and you maximize what this offense has done, on top of having Tyreek Hill in the past, I understand what Tyreek Hill brought to the mm-hmm. book. But they had other players, and they made sure to, uh, to showcase them. You got Travis Kelsey, and you have other slot receivers. That opens up a lot of real estate in the middle of the field. That's how offenses like that are able to take advantage of a lot of defenses opening up in the middle of the field. So, yes, it's a loss. It's not a huge loss to me. I think that Tyreek Hill, Tyree Hill's uh, you know ability to stretch the field not necessarily can be duplicated by other people, but can be, you know, sort of in, in similar mm-hmm. by other guys and scheme-wise. So um, just developing new, new combination routes, and he's got a number of other guys uh, in Kansas City that he can rely on and, and has shown off in the past. And that's why we have you on here, to break it on down. I love it, man. I love it. Great stuff as always, Lincoln. We definitely appreciate you, man. It's good to hear from you, and we look forward to seeing you when you come out here for camp. Be good, Q. I'll see you soon, brother. All right, my man. Appreciate you. There he goes. Lincoln Kennedy, former Raider offensive lineman right there, part of the play-by-play crew, color commentary. And you heard what he said off the top. That's too much work to do the play-by-play, Raider Nation. That's something that I said from the very jump. Like, that is so much work, and that's why I give those guys so much props because I know exactly what they do when it comes to putting together a great, and I mean great, broadcast. It is not easy. It's not just rolling in there like, all right, let me go on, roll the roster out real quick and call a game. That ain't going to happen. That don't work in high school football, let alone in the NFL. And it's so funny, Raider Nation, you have no idea how many people from any walk of life, and I don't know if this has happened to you, Ari, but so many people have hit me up and was like, I have people calling me that I've never talked to ever that are like, hey, Q, uh, I need to know who to reach out to because I'm trying to get this. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, I know Brent Musburger is not there anymore. Like, look. We had, and I'm not going to put the person's name out there, but the very first day when Brett Musburger was, when, when he announced on Twitter that he wasn't coming back, remember we had a group text? Yep. Hey, Ari, can you put some of my good stuff together? Yeah. And what did I say? Jackpot, baby! <laughs> I knew exactly why! Yeah, I knew exactly why. Yeah, the timing, man. But yeah, I mean, so many people. That is such a coveted job, and it takes a true profession now. Yeah. There's so many. There's actually a lot of good options, too, where we, we talked about it on our show over there, and I mean, it's it's an objective thing, but like, yeah, I'm not even sure. No, no one even stands out. I mean, in a good way. There's no one I can right. pinpoint that it's just, oh, it's obvious. Like, this that's person. an obvious person, right? Yeah, it's just not so. because it's such a hard thing. But I've had people, no joke, the, the guy from who does the Sam Houston State call, he does the Sam Houston State. And it's so funny because he calls me. And because he's from Sam Houston State and I actually know people that are on that team, I thought it was someone that I talked to. So I called him back. Right. Because I, I just he was like, hey, Q, it's so and so Sam Houston State. And I was like, oh, OK, that must be, you know. So I call him back and he starts asking me about the about the job. And I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm not in charge of that. Like, I don't know nothing about that. And he's like, well, do you know who I can get a hold of? And I was like, yeah, I think so. But that's all I really know. You know, and then, you know, so I said, hey, how's my guy KG doing? You know, he's a, he's a safety for the Bearcats. He's, oh, yeah, hey, we're doing really good down here. And I was like, no, how's my guy doing? Like, I'm, you know, like, am I speaking another uh, language <laughs> outside of who to contact for this job? <laughs> How many cues do you know? Right. You got the wrong one. Exactly. It was pretty, it was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're calling from all over. And that's just to me. So I can only imagine what's going on at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. I actually heard that our visitor from yesterday called Mark Davis to try to get a job or try to get a job interview for that. Thank you, visitor from yesterday. 
Oh, that visitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why he was coming to the studio, man. He wanted to audition. Yeah, that's going to work out real well for you. <laughs> you know what is going to work out? I'll meet you there. There you go. I know it's going to work out. How about a pair of tickets to go to the three ice hockey at the Orleans Arena on June 18th? Six teams, six skaters, one goalie, and a Hall of Fame coach on each team. You need more information, 3ice.com. 3ice, that's the number 3ice.com. You can find out, but caller number nine is going to get laced up with a pair of tickets right now at 702-365-9200. Many thanks to Lincoln Kennedy for joining the show. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. What does it mean to be a Raider? What to you, what does it mean to be a Raider? Man, being a Raider is not just being a football player. It's not about the just the jersey or just the just the helmet. It's about a lifestyle. It's about It's about loyalty. It's about doing whatever you have to do to help your brothers, to help your family. That's what it's all about. It's never putting yourself above the shield. That's what being a Raider is all about. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Again, many thanks to Lincoln Kennedy, who joined us in the last segment, former Raider offensive lineman, part of the play-by-play, color commentary crew, Raiders Radio. I guarantee, well, I didn't guarantee, but I, I guaranteed to throw my... My name in the ring when it came to sideline reporting. Look, you're guaranteed to miss the shot that you, you don't take. There ain't nothing that you should be ashamed to ask for. And believe me, I'll ask for anything. The only thing you can say, the worst you can say, Ari, is what? Nah. Exactly. <laughs> I put some stank on it. Nah, that, there was no stank there. That was the softest nah I ever heard. You're like, nah. Instead of no. You had like no bass in your voice, no nothing. You didn't say it with your chest. You were just... Nah. That's all you get. No, it's a no. Well, you either Move get on. a no or you get nothing in return. You know, you get no response. That's fine. I'm, just I'm okay not with used that. to hearing no, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Like what we talked about, you know, all the stuff we talked about that you said yes to earlier on the break. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. Me up with all that. I, re- I remember me saying, nah. I don't, I don't recall. Exactly. <laughs> but you're guaranteed to miss a shot you don't take. I don't mind taking the shot. So. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy does a fantastic job. And I'll say this. One of the things that he said that stood out to me, you know, I was talking about the offensive line. And really, I mean, as much as we've talked about the defensive tackle position and which one would you rather have, you know, would you rather the Raiders spend the money on the D tackle spot or the offensive line? And after listening, it's so funny, after listening to Lincoln Kennedy, I was like, man, they better invest in that offensive line. You better take care of that because there's still questions. You know, and and he's talked about Alex Leatherwood. And, you know, what, what stood out to me, I get excited when I hear someone that's saying the right things. You know, hey, I, I trained in Dallas. I've been training in Vegas. I've been working on my diet. I'm doing this, that, and the other. Never be strong enough. I mean, right. That's great to hear. But as Lincoln pointed out, hey, he was telling me the right things last year before he ever stepped on the field. So then all of a sudden I thought, ah, oh, damn. You know what I mean? And then, of course, when you're talking to a player, someone who's been in the trenches and done that and could point out, it's one thing for – PFF or Bleacher Report or insert whatever expert you want to insert in that in that area, it's 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 easy for them to point something out and then say, but you know you can kind of scheme around that. But when a guy's been in the trenches, like Lincoln Kennedy's been in the trenches, and he's saying there's a problem with his hands, there's a problem with. It's funny, Raider Nation, and, and Ari could back me up on this. When Lincoln was saying that, <laughs> where did I have where did yep. I have my hands? Right there. Yep. I had my hands out there and was trying to go through what he was going through and try to simulate what he was saying and so I could understand it a little bit better. He needs to punch, pop, 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 hit guys, not put the hands out there and stay. And think about it. Raider Nation, you can do it yourself. Not if you're driving, please. There's already enough crazy drivers here in Vegas. 
But if you're sitting at your chair, you're sitting at your desk, I mean, you're not working. If you're sitting at your desk, just put your hands out. And then imagine someone coming by and, and swiping them down. What happens? You're going to fall. You're going to lean forward. You're going to lose balance. And guess what? Max Crosby flies by you. Chandler Jones flies by you. Khalil Mack flies by you. Joey Bosa flies by you. Randy Gregory flies by you. It doesn't matter who it is. Insert whoever. Ari flies by you because you're off balance. Now, Ari's not very athletic. I saw Ari throw a ball uh, one time. <laughs> and it was I was embarrassed was for bad. you. I was too. It wasn't my No, best. no, no. I was embarrassed for you. I felt like a father that was like, oh, damn, my son's never going to be athletic. That's how I felt. I was just glad that that was not the case because my boys are super athletic, so I'm good. You know what I mean? The apple don't fall far from the tree, bro, man. I was I good. I was good. Be but you, you, I was like, this dude has no athletic ability whatsoever. Like, you don't have an ounce of athletic ability. I mean, system. I never claimed to be that guy. I was really disappointed. I hadn't thrown a ball in quite some time. Here I am sitting here explaining this on radio. But, yeah, it was, it was my worst throw ever. Ever. And then months later at the Jurassic Park uh, reunion. Oh, yeah. Reunion, I'm sorry. Screening. Movie pre- yeah, movie premiere. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I thought I redeemed myself Did a little you? bit. I didn't even see it. Yeah. I just know that after you threw one and DeMond threw one, they said, no more throwing anything. Yeah, you're not allowed to throw. <laughs> it was such an amazing throw. Clear across the room that they were like, well, you guys got to cut it down. Right, exactly. So I didn't even see where you threw it, but I saw that ball that you threw in the parking lot. And Raider Nation, that let me sad. tell you what he did. Oh, come on. He threw this ball, and as soon as it left his hand, it went down. It's true. It was like... It went straight down as soon as he threw it. As soon as it left his hand, as soon as his five fingers or four fingers and a thumb got off that ball, it dropped. I'll make it up. You don't know. There is no making that up. I was going to punt because I'm actually... I'm not a good punter. I'm not saying I'm a good punter, but like in relation to what you saw me throw, I can actually punt the ball. So I should have just done that. We you should have done something else. <laughs> you know, I did it so we would have some content for the show. You're welcome. Here we are. All right. Does Demond throw balls into the ground just to, just to be made? Fun? I don't think. I don't think, so. think Demond has too much athletic ability either. Uh, are we compared? I, I mean, compared to you, then he's probably yeah. like yeah. Zeus. But yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. But was, no, Demond. Demond's Demond's the dude in the gym. You know, he's he's the he's got the muscles and everything. He's built up the muscles. I've got some hand-eye coordination. That's probably about it. Like I played basketball at the peak of my athleticism. I was, you know, freshman year of high school. Oh, I guess you were a captain on the Messing team like around. DeMond, no, too. No, no, no. Nobody saying, ever I'd... saw. Did anyone ever see you on the court? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't neither one of you guys worth a damn. But again, I'm not saying that I'm anything that I'm not. That's okay. All, all right. So we're clear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's right. I'm not, not mad at that. I'll tell you one, one guy who's feeling pretty good about himself, feeling pretty positive about what he thinks the Raiders are going to do this season. And coming up in a few minutes, Andre Gaines, producer and director of uh, After Jackie. You'll hear the conversation I had with him this morning. But I found this to be very intriguing. The NFL actually tweeted this out. I quote tweeted and said, Raider Nation, what say you? And it's basically how many wins do you think the Raiders are going to have this year? And it's funny. I like to bring these kind of things to the table so you can hear it because – so many times in my mentions, so many times on the voicemail line, so many times people call the phone and say, media this, media that, media hate, media, it's always that. And sometimes, hey, look, sometimes there's some negative stuff. Sometimes, it, uh, you know, a guy says, yeah, the O-line's not very good. It's not the fact that they're just trying to hate on the Raiders. They're just trying to be honest about the situation. And I could appreciate that. But with that being said, when there's something positive – I like to bring that to the table, too, because I want it to be known that it's, it's not everyone. And if, it, if, if you're never hearing it or it doesn't, isn't pointed out to you, you might not know that there's some positivity surrounding 
the silver and black. Rich Eisen, who comes on before JT the Brick, he's been very adamant that the Raiders are going to win the AFC West. He's been very adamant. He's going to come and join the show at some point. I'm not sure if it's this week or next week. He's going to join the show and explain why in further detail. I'm already working on that, so that's going to happen. But I thought Adam Rank from NFL Network, he went through earlier today the Raiders' schedule, all 17 games, and break down, and he breaks down their win-loss record for 2022. Check out this. Here's Adam Rank. Josh McDaniels is back as a head coach. This time he is leading the Las Vegas Raiders. And oh, by the way, they have Devontae Adams. Does this make the Raiders the team to beat in the AFC? Well, let's take a look. They open up on the road in Los Angeles where they are still very popular. I have them beating the Chargers, going on the road, or excuse me, playing at home against the Arizona Cardinals, taking a win right there, but going on the road to face the Tennessee Titans where they will take their first loss of the season, but they come back home, beat the Denver Broncos before going on the road again. This is all very confusing, stay with me. But they take a loss right there, heading into their bye week. They're three and two, feeling pretty good again about themselves. They got the Houston Texans coming out of the bye week. That should be a win. They're going up against the New Orleans Saints on the road, a very tough game. I have them, I have them beating Dennis Allen, a former Raiders coach himself on the road, against Jacksonville. This is actually a tougher game than I think a lot of people will give them credit for, but I still have them getting a win right there. I have them beating the Indianapolis Colts at home before going on the road to face the Denver Broncos in week 11. They're gonna take a loss right there. Week 12 against the Seattle Seahawks. That should be a win, but then they have a very tough stretch against the LA teams right here. I have them losing against the L.A. Chargers, which last season, this was the game that knocked the Chargers out of the playoffs, losing against the L.A. Rams on the road once again. But beating the New England Patriots, week 16, they got the Steelers in the anniversary of the immaculate reception, taking a win right there, taking a win. And then even though the Raiders are pretty much assured a playoff spot going up against the Kansas City Chiefs, I have them beating the Chiefs, and this will be the second consecutive year that the Raiders have knocked off one of their AFC West foes and kept them out of the playoffs. So as you see, Derek Carr to me, who is already a good quarterback, becomes an elite quarterback with Devontae Adams. I have the Raiders winning 12 games and advancing on to the AFC playoffs. Adam Rank right there from the NFL Network has the Raiders at 12-5 and five in the 2022 season. And you heard what he said, the little nugget at the end about Derek Carr. He goes from being a Good quarterback to an elite quarterback because of the addition of Devontae Adams. So when you talk about the media, and I like to emphasize that word because I feel like people throw it around there. So, oh, it's just the media this, the media that, the media is bad, the media that. No, man, those are just excuses. In, in, in my world, that's what we call excuses. The media ain't out there on the field. The media ain't win- losing games and not winning games. All we're doing is talking about what we see. That's it. Some people... Yeah, I get it. They're a little bit harsher. They look for everything negative. I get that. But you kind of know the nature of the beast when it comes to certain people. Like, I'm sure nobody in Raider Nation is sending Josh DeBow a, 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 a Christmas card. You know? He's not a bad guy. He just finds every negative stat he can find about the Raiders and points it out. Every one of them. Him and Carr actually have a pretty good relationship. You know, they joke with each other in the pressers. But we all know that he's pretty negative. You know, for example, Brian Windhorse from ESPN. He couldn't even give the Warriors credit for getting a W the other night. 
Oh, the Celtics lost to their checkbook, to the Warriors' checkbook. Like, are you serious? You can't just tip the cap and say, hey, that was a good win? Bad loss on Boston's part? Still salty about LeBron losing when he was with Cleveland? There's certain guys, you get it. But I always think it's a lazy narrative when everyone just clumps in, oh, the media this, media that. That's just, it's not as bad as clumping in certain people with certain, you know, just because they all look the same. But it's it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's, it's super lazy. Instead of just saying, hey, this guy's a good guy, this guy's a gay guy. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I mean, that's the case. There's plenty of media guys I don't like, and there's plenty of media guys that don't like me. And I'm okay with that. You know, if you're positive, they're like, oh, he's a homer. You know, Jason Fitz, he comes on the radio and has no problem saying, hey, I'm a Raider fan. That's cool, but he's honest. I'm a Raider fan, but I'm honest. If he walks like a duck and he quacks like a duck, damn it, it's a duck. My grandmother would say, I'll kiss a duck. She would. My grandmother had line after line after line. She could pull them out her backside, man. She had a back pocket and a pocketbook full of one-liners. She was fantastic. I might have like one-eighth of her one-liners, and that's all I really need. 440 is the time. When we come back, Andre Gaines, producer and director of After Jackie, a fantastic documentary that you have to see. I already got to see the pre-screening, but the actual documentary will be played on Saturday on the History Channel, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You've got to check it out. The conversation with the producer and the director, you'll hear next here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Got hit up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R from my guy Rob in Oakland in the five and dime. He said, despite moving Leatherwood to right guard, he still overextended himself and put his arms out. Against Kansas City, Chris Jones would wait for Alex to do this and either knock the arms down or dip a shoulder and get by the pressure to play. It was too easy. I think Alex wants to be great and seems willing to put in the work. I hope his technique is correctable. That's from Robin Oakland talking about Alex Leatherwood. And really, a lot of the success or not success of the Raiders offensive line is going to depend on the second-year development of one Alex Leatherwood. Now I want you to hear, and thank you for that text, Rob. appreciate you. I want you to hear this conversation I had this morning with Andre Gaines, producer and director of After Jackie. It is about the struggles after Jackie Robinson of the African-American baseball player. you got to see it. It's on the History Channel. It's going to be on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. But here is that conversation with Andre Gaines. Joining us now on the phone lines is Andre Gaines, critically acclaimed producer and director. I'm talking the best of the best. And joining us today to talk about After Jackie, a two-hour documentary airing on the History Channel telling the untold story of the next generation of black baseball players who fought for racial equality in the sport after Jackie Robinson. And Andre, uh, I know I only got a few minutes with you. I could talk to you for hours just because I'm a big baseball fan. And, uh, you know, that was one of my my first loves. And my grandfather uh, loved baseball and was always telling me, hey, son, you need to learn how to catch the ball and run and do this, that, and the other. And so I know he'd be so proud of this interview and just being able to talk about the great game that he loved as well. And, uh, I mean, it's it's so intriguing as I was watching the advanced screening. It just it kind of, like, grabs you and sucks you in so quickly where did the idea come from to put this piece together well first of all thanks for for having me it's a a a joy to talk about the sport uh quite frankly i mean i think that the reality is that which we don't realize is how deep uh of a love of the game of baseball it was for the black community especially you know during the time of jackie robinson and the negro leagues and, and whatnot you know the the idea you know for the for the story um really came together with LeBron James and Stanley Nelson, 
and myself uh, uh, eventually stepping into the director's chair. And it was really trying to, to focus on these unsung heroes that came after Jackie Robinson. I mean, you so eloquently, you know, described it at the top of the show here. But that's what it was about, is that there's not only these unsung heroes that came after Jackie Robinson, but there's a great deal of Jackie Robinson's story itself that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, or that we don't often see, which is his life after retiring from baseball and becoming this this hugely prominent uh, civil rights leader uh, alongside Dr. King, which we have footage of, of, of them, you know, marching and giving speeches together and, and all of that. And that's not a piece of the history that we are told about Jackie Robinson. So it was a, it was a grand opportunity to be able to bring this to the forefront. And uh, we were happy to do that. And in, in after Jackie in the film, yeah, and again, it was so, like I said, it, so many things stood out to me. You know, even talking about Jackie Robinson, and everyone knows the story of, you know, him breaking the, the color barrier and all the, you know, uh, the the love that he was receiving for being able to do that, but also how, you know, he fought back after a few years, and then that love started to really wear on people where it's like, yeah, he's not really as cool as we think he is because now he's not turning the other cheek. I thought that that was pretty big as well. Yeah, right. That's a, That was kind of one of my um... – uh, favorite things, I guess, to, to discover is the fact that uh, he was considered one of the most hated men in baseball, but, you know, hated by the, the, the same villains that were, you know, spewing racial epithets at him and, and the, the same commentators and the and reporters who were saying bad things about him. So they suddenly hate Jackie Robinson because he's not, you know, turning the other cheek. But Jackie was always a an advocate for civil rights and for equality and for human rights, honestly. And he was he was sort of by design built to not uh, fight back, built to not say anything back to folks, just get out on the field and play. And that's the unique thing, too, is that we see after him the the real first wave of the combined player activists. That's something we take for granted these days in the form of LeBron James or the form of Colin, Copper, Colin, Colin Kaepernick or, or folks like that is that that really didn't exist back then. You know, he was Jackie was a player first and then really became an activist in retirement. But with Bill White, Bob Gibson, Kurt Flood, you know, these guys were fighting for um, equality, fighting against discrimination, and they were doing it off the field and then on the field playing at the highest level possible. And, and that's the first time that we really see this huge wave of that happening with Muhammad Ali, you know, is probably the most prominent one in the sixties with Jim Brown, with, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell. Um, so many of these players that, that you could name that were the player activists using their platform to advance freedom. Right. At the end of the day. No doubt. No doubt. Again, we're talking with critically acclaimed producer and director Andre Gaines here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. And, and yeah, I mean, we see players these days that are, are being very vocal, like a LeBron James, like you mentioned, Colin Kaepernick. We all know how it all shook out with him. But these guys, they weren't given those opportunities. And Bill White, Kurt Flood, Bob Gibson, and others, as you mentioned, they had to deal with a whole lot. And, and you know, their stories aren't really told that often. I mean, to me, Andre, this felt like something that even if you're not really a big baseball fan or even a sports fan, it's just for educational purposes. This is a film that you should definitely watch. Oh, sure. And I I wanted to be cognizant of that. I mean, as, as a, I'm a fan of all live sports, especially, I mean, baseball, um, I'm a fan of, but I couldn't, couldn't say that I'm an aficionado in the way that (laughs) that very ardent fans are of baseball. You know, it's somebody, you know, pulled out of their hat, like who won the world series in, 
you know, the, whatever year it might necessarily be. I don't have that encyclopedic knowledge. I thankfully had the, that type of team around me, which was, was super supportive. Mm. But the reality is that I wanted to make a film for everyone, for, for folks who, uh, who are lovers of baseball. So we have some fantastic highlights in there and, and, and stats and kind of all of the, the historic knowledge of baseball. But for folks who were not sports fans uh, in general, to really understand it from a human level and from a human standpoint and point of view. And, uh, and I think we achieved that. I think that we, we got the, the voices of that generation in there, and we have some of the, the newer voices in the form of Mookie Betts, in the form of CC Sabathia, uh, we spoke with Joe Torrey. We spoke with Ken Griffey Jr., who was amazing. Uh, we spoke with Al Downing. We spoke with Tim McCarver, Tony Regans. So many of these uh, important figures and historians uh, of the game able to, to help highlight the importance of the game and the importance of what it meant for the sacrifices these guys made. And so it was an honor to do so. Talking about the two-hour documentary After Jackie, it's going to debut on Saturday, June 18th on the History Channel, talking with Andre Gaines here. And uh, what moment was it for you as you were helping put this thing together, this piece together? And this is a fantastic piece, as I've mentioned. Uh, what, what was the eye-opening moment that was like, whoa? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that is something that was real big that you didn't even realize in this piece. You know, it's like at the, it's at the beginning of the movie. I mean, I, I didn't realize the uh, black ball players. Uh, there were black ball players before Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those kind of eye openers where you you know you hear about uh, the 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 figures in history that predated the the, the popular ones that we know. Right. I mean, this is in the late 1800s, 1884. Bud Fowler, Moses Fleetwood Walker, two of the prominent uh, players, black players in the game that we highlight in the film that were there and there was this gentleman's agreement that was instituted that essentially banned black ball players from coming onto the field and playing. And that would consume the sport for the next 60 years until Jackie Robinson would, would come onto the field and be the first black ball player allowed into the major leagues. And that's why we sort of use that terminology because there were players before him, but they were shut out and it wasn't something written down. It was just a handshake. It was a gentleman's agreement. And, uh, and, and, and he came along really through the thanks of, um, journalists right. of Wendell Smith and other journalists who had a crusade to see black ball players on the field. And, uh, as a result, we, we have this symbol, we have this great symbol in Jackie Robinson, who was able to pave the way for so many things, not just baseball and not just players in the game of baseball, but for society. I mean, Dr. King even credits Jackie Robinson for, giving him a little bit of a blueprint for what it is he would do because Jackie reached this national prominence before Dr. King did. And they became allies um, after Jackie retired and he was on the front lines fighting with Dr. King. So it was, it was a great, great story. We just had to tell it. Yeah, no, you did. And I'm telling you, just listening to you talk about it, I got kind of chills and, and hairs on my arm is, is raised. And I've seen it, you know, I've seen it already. <laughs> but it's just it's just that good, Andre. It really is. And I'm so blessed that I was given the opportunity to check it out. And I can't wait to tell everyone and make sure to promote them and, and push them to check out the History Channel on Saturday, uh, June 18th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pacific Standard Time. Check it out. The uh, After Jackie, it's, it's celebrating the 75th anniversary year of Jackie. 
Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Andre, I know you got to run. I do appreciate you. I hope I get to talk to you some more a little bit later on down the road, but a fantastic job on this piece, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Great conversation. So there it was right there, and you can't tell because we did some fine production work, but they literally cut him off while he was saying great conversation, and he was, he was still talking. And the people that connected the call, there was like a conference call. They just cut him off immediately. But we had a great conversation. So I was a little angry because it was fun. And I guarantee that every conversation he was going to have following that was not going to be the same quality. But I get it. They're trying to get as many in as possible. And it's not his fault. It was the, just the people that connected it. But once I reached out and I was like, hey, you know, that was kind of foul that you, you cut him off early. They were very apologetic for doing that. So. There you go. But I do uh, encourage you to go check out After Jackie this Saturday night. You can see it on the History Channel. And I'm telling you, man, just watching the screening, I'm excited to see what the actual real deal looks like. Because, again, the screening is one thing. But when they put the whole thing together and it's like the final piece, you know that it's it's something special. So uh, I encourage you to go check that out. Uh, big fan of baseball as I am. I'm definitely going to be locked and loaded and be able to watch that as well. I already told uh, many family members, like, hey, Saturday night, I'm telling you what you're going to be watching. So it is what it is. Make sure you're waking up with the morning tailgate, 7 to 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Ice Cube will be joining the show at 9 a.m. O'Shea Jackson. Ice Cube will be joining the show with the morning tailgate here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Good night.